Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Side Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Great to be with you today. As we've been talking about, obviously, some changes coming on Friday as it relates to the level, as it relates to the coronavirus and the pandemic. And I'm very pleased to be joined now by one of my favorite thinkers on the planet, Joseph Grinney. Sorry, Joseph. <laughs> Joseph's the co-author of Influencer, co-founder of Vital Smarts. And uh, Joseph, you said as we enter this new phase, uh, you're actually calling it a, a type of gap. What kind of gap are we looking at? Yeah, we're, we're going to be living for the next few months in the danger gap. That's the gap between when we start to socialize a bit more with each other and hopefully protective ways and when we have effective treatments or vaccines available. Those months are the most dangerous period that we have lived in so far because this is, this is going to be a question about whether or not we can maintain good boundaries while still being closer together. I think that's so fascinating as you look at that danger gap. Uh, I guess we could say that our, uh, our our friends in the UK are right, that we need to mine the gap here in the, in the danger <laughs> gap. Uh, you've been talking about ways to do that. How do we actually navigate this? Yeah, so in the workplace, uh, every leader, every team leader, every supervisor, every manager, every business owner has to come up with a plan to do two things. We call them be safe and feel safe. So first of all, they have to have a plan to make sure all of their employees, customers, anybody in their workplace are actually safe. And we'll do things like limit the number of people in our office area or in our store, and we'll make sure that people wash in and wash out or wear masks where appropriate. All of that is really good. But, but in addition to that, you have to make sure your employees and customers feel safe. It's not just having the practices. It's making sure that they know you have the practices and that they see you ostentatiously, publicly practicing those so that they feel safe entering your area. In order to do that, there's some rituals you're going to have to establish to help people both be safe and feel safe. Uh, you had mentioned that uh, if if an employee, an employee that doesn't feel safe, uh, they're not going to be real productive. A customer or a client that doesn't feel safe is not likely to buy or or engage. So, so take us down another level on that. What are some of those practices or some examples uh, in organizations of how you can make sure you're not only doing the practical, tactical of be safe, but you're actually creating that environment where it feels safe? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, the way we say that is that nervous employees don't work and nervous customers don't buy. So no matter what the state says we can do on Friday, the key is for every leader in every organization to make sure that they, they deal with not just being safe but feeling safe. There are five rituals that every leader is going to have to practice. The first is as people come into the workplace, whether customers or employees, you need to have a boot camp. The idea of a boot camp is to break down old patterns that people had while they were in that particular space and teach them the new ones. So you're going to need to walk them through a regimented uh, opportunity to put their hands on and practice the behaviors that will create the be safe and feel safe culture that you need. 
Second, you're going to need a ritual we call please and thank you. You're going to have to have a practice in the workplace where everybody can remind anybody by just saying, please follow this practice. Please put the mask on. Please wash your hands. The please needs to come, but the please will not happen consistently in any workplace unless there's a thank you ritual that happens. If every employee, every customer, every boss, every manager in your workplace is instructed that they are to thank anyone who reminds them to practice something, that will make it more likely the reminders will happen. So boot camp and please and thank you are two critical rituals to changing those practices in the workplace. All right, so those are the uh, the first two. You said there's five of those rituals. So boot camp, getting that education in there, please and thank you, making sure that's part of the validation. Uh, what comes next? Yeah, the third is a fire drill. You have to do this regularly. As we know from the recent earthquake, a lot of us forget what we're supposed to do when the earthquake happens if it doesn't happen frequently enough. And so you're going to need, like we do with fire practices, a fire drill on a regular basis where all of the employees are asked to come, stand in a circle, and go through all the behaviors we're supposed to practice, reminding each other, saying please and thank you, putting the mask on, washing and washing out, cleaning out the conference room before and after every use. Whatever those are, we need the fire drills to keep them on people's minds. Otherwise, what will happen, because it's human nature, is we'll start with a rush of enthusiasm on Friday, and then we'll drop off by mid-next week to our old behaviors, be sloppy, and risk lives again. So the third <laughs> that, sounds like my, that sounds like my exercise program. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's human nature, absolutely. But the fourth we call daily rounding. If, uh, if you want to make sure something is happening in a workplace, you have to inspect it regularly. As they say, it isn't what you expect, it's what you inspect. So rotate the responsibility of everyone in the workplace. Each person has a designated day where they take a checklist and they observe to see whether the practices are being followed or not. And then they post the score up on a visible place so everybody can see how we're doing. You've got to keep it conscious. You have to inspect it regularly. So daily rounding of leaders, and, uh, and it must be leaders. Don't hand this off to HR. It's got to be an authority figure. And finally, implicit in that, in that is the scorekeeping ritual. Whatever your, your current level of compliance is, it needs to be posted publicly. I, I would encourage you to have a green, yellow, and red stoplight kind of a model. If the score is not 95% or above, it's not a green. You have to give yourself a yellow and put it up there so that you embarrass yourself in front of your customers, in front of your employees, in front of others, and that will help to create renewed vigilance. So boot camp, please and thank you, fire drill, daily rounding, and scorekeeping are five rituals every workplace has to have to keep people safe. Uh, Joseph Grinning joining us uh, talking about this danger gap that we're entering into, this phase between starting to reopen and when we'll actually have vaccines in the marketplace and so on, uh, and how we navigate is going to help people be safe, the practical, tactical, and feel safe, which is really about creating that that culture. Joseph, any other, anything else we should be thinking about or mindful of as we begin this uh, next phase? Yeah, you, you pull back the lens, but the, the critical thing is for leaders not to over-rely on little structural changes they're going to make. The fact that you're putting Purell dispensers on every countertop isn't enough. The fact that you're trying to space uh, tables out in your restaurant isn't enough. What we know is that human beings get sloppy quickly. We start taking the convenient path or the familiar path that we did in the past. The key to, to saving lives and protecting lives in the coming months is for leaders to understand their job is influence. Their job is to shape the behavior of the workplace, not just move the desks a little bit apart. That's the key. So 
So there are two, two places we can go to try to protect lives right now. There's medical science and social science. Medical science is the group that's out there working feverishly to try to, I'm sorry for using that word, but, but we're working uh, um, assiduously to try to find solutions, to try to find treatments and vaccines. But since we don't have them yet, we need to rely on social science. That's the study of human behavior. Leaders have to be behaviorists. They have to be influencers right now. And if they aren't, we're going to get sloppy, and what will likely happen is we'll have to revert back to extreme measures of isolation that cripple the economy and rob us of the pleasures of our lives. Uh, I think that's so important. We often uh, talk about this, again, the short-term versus the long-term, and leadership happens in that ability to sustain it over time, that long view of things and keeping it rolling. Uh, just uh, real quick, 30 seconds, Joseph. Often in these situations, we, we under-communicate. Organizations and leaders under-communicate, usually by a factor of about 10. Uh, how do we need to communicate different and better for all of us, not just in the business space, but in our communities and in our homes. Yeah, we, we need to keep uh, the, the moral frame around the, the issues at hand, front and center for everybody. It's so easy at moments like this to, to lose track of the fact that whether or not I wash my hands after sneezing into my cupped hand uh, has downstream effects that are enormously, monumentally significant. They have they're dripping with moral significance, and it's the job of leaders to keep that front and center, to make sure that people understand that this is about human lives. One of the best ways they can do that is with storytelling. So while many of us don't have an immediate family member that has been sick, and most of us know someone who knows someone, and so we need to bring those front and center. We need to bring them present in the moment so that people understand the moral significance of these tiny little annoying sacrifices that we're asking of people in the workplace. Uh, so, so helpful. Again, be safe, feel safe, so we can manage this next phase, this danger gap. We really do need to mind the gap. Joseph Grinney, always appreciate your wonderful insight and leadership uh, as we look at how we influence behavior. Likewise, boy. Thanks for your influence in our community. All right, again, that's Joseph Grinney. If you missed that, uh, we'll, we'll come back. It'll be up on our podcast later on today. We're going to go ahead and step aside. When we come back, David Smith from Cotopaxi will introduce us to the Mask for Every Utah. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.